my name's Lizzie Hodgson. I'm founder and director of Think Nation, where we humanise the impact of technology on young people. I'm really um, excited about today's podcast. Um, it's a little bit different in that it's a Q&A session from a recent uh, Hackers Story screening that we held at Google's Campus London. The focus of the documentary is Jake Davis, ex Lulzec and Anonymous Hacker. I was 15, 16, um, I first started hearing about WikiLeaks. I was massively inspired as a teenager at the time, with little else going on, uh, that, that, that this stuff was amazing, that they were using this thing that I love, and I'd grown up with the internet, and so carefree and so anonymously, and, and, and I thought it was, it was quite pure use of the net. In the documentary, we also speak with Richard Jones from the Prevent Operational Team at the National Cybercrime Unit. Young people in the UK have excellent technical skills. They're coming out of university, they're coming out of school. It's, it's built into their, everything they do. Some of them have excellent career paths ahead of them, but they are at risk of getting into cybercrime. My job's important because we need to make sure they make that choice, they understand that cybercrime is illegal and there are consequences. And also Professor Ruth Blakely, who's Professor of Politics and International Relations at Sheffield University and is coordinator of the Rendition Project, which provides the most comprehensive analysis to date of this CIA's rendition, detention and interrogation programme. Coming down with a full force of the law and threatening extraditions and extremely long sentences, um, you know, under, under espionage charges, is intended as a deterrent. It's a, a documentary that I'd urge you to watch before you listen to this podcast. You can go and see it at thinknation.co. For the discussion that we had at Google's Campus London, we were joined by Andy Chapman from the Met Police, and he's part of the Met Police's own prevent team around online um, and cybercrime, and also Jake Davis. It was a really great discussion, so hope you enjoy it. Thank you very much, both of you. I'm just going to quickly get both Andy and Jake to obviously introduce themselves. Um, so I'm Andy Chapman, I'm a Detective Constable from the Metropolitan Police. Um, been a Metropolitan Police Officer for 16 years, worked in various uh, areas of business and I'm now working for um, the Cyber Prevent Team um, for the Metropolitan Police. Um, I'm Jake Davis. I do some security work and some creative consultancy um, around hacking, writing, espionage, spying. We recently helped open a spy and hacking museum in Manhattan. We can go and educate. I'm Lizzie Hodgson. I'm the founder and director of Think Nation. Okay, so we would like to start with some questions. Has anyone got any questions? Okay, oh, brilliant. So I don't even need to start off. Over here, wait for the microphone. Wait for the microphone. As far as politics goes, I think discussions around GCHQ, Facebook, Google misses the bigger point. China is now a dictatorship. They have the most powerful artificial intelligence in the world. Shouldn't we, for the greater good, be supporting our Western civilized democracy? Yes, there are flaws, but I'd much rather support companies like GCHQ and Facebook and Google than be vulnerable to attacks from North Korea, China, and you know various others, other civilizations which don't necessarily agree with our way of life. How might, from both your point of views, you resolve that political question of how do we combat communism? Our, it's, it's very hard to support our government agencies when they ironically make it easier for hackers around the world to hack our critical national infrastructure via those companies by not patching them. Um, if we want to work, if we want to help secure our, our national infrastructure, we need to be very, very transparent. With, our, uh, with, with the exploits that we find. If, we, if our government knows that they can take over every iPhone in the world, and this, this sort of exploit only lasts for maybe a couple of days at a time, someone at the Google's amazing Project Zero team will discover how to break about 10 million routers the next day it's patched. Um, and if we don't disclose that kind of thing, we're just ironically waiting for someone in China or Russia or a country that doesn't agree with us, or in our case, um, vice versa, a country that doesn't agree with another country, whatever, let's just not, let's not make it as black and white as UK versus China. Um, we're, just, we're just waiting for someone else to find it independently. So I'm more interested in making things more secure in general, um, rather than supporting one group like Facebook just because they're not as bad as 
some of the Chinese firms. And I agree, though, some of the, some of the Chinese restrictions, especially when it comes to blocking virtual private networks and, and limiting free speech online, is horrific. Um, and that's definitely something um, that, w that, we should, that we should learn here and that we should, we should, we should continue to avoid. Um, but in the sense of avoiding communism, I don't know, I think that's an entirely different... So I, th I think I could ask a better question. Transparency to people who don't know stuff about tech. You know, we, 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 from a technological perspective, we may not be able to understand exactly what you understand. Therefore, is transparency to the public particularly useful? That's probably the better question. No, extremely useful. That's extremely useful. I mean, the more we mystify this stuff, the less the public understands it. I mean, if we, I mean, let's talk about even the, the idea of hackers being able to work with companies and governments to patch things. We, we need to make these things transparent. Otherwise, you get into a case of the uh, very, very few powerful people in GCHQ cyber um, holding all the cards when it comes to this, this sort of thing. We need to know not only what exploits they're using, but companies need to be transparent with their security policies, even if people don't understand the bulk of it. I mean, I don't understand the bulk of transparency when it comes to, I don't know, food standards agency or something like that, but I'm glad it's there. I'm glad that the supply of X, Y ingredient is limited in here and there. I don't know the first thing about it, but I think it's very important that we, we hold regular open sourced and independently um, funded audits into, into companies and into our infrastructure in the same sense that anyone in the world can find the next cyber exploit. I guess if you want to put it in terms of war, you don't know who's going to own or make the weapons because it's sort of, it's not owned by, by a state. So I think transparency in that sense is always a good idea. We've got a question in the middle here. Hello, riveting. Really, really enjoyed that. Um, this question is for you, Jake. Um, I'm interested because I've come across a lot of those videos with the mask. Are all those videos you? <laughs> That's <Wow>. my <laughs> I think I think I did a few, but no, no. Um, you know, I think a lot of I think it's really hard to say who that. I think a lot of the anonymous operations, like seven or eight years ago, a lot of the video content was made by uh, sort of those that are more skilled at video and artist editing, and that was kind of just an anonymous stock video that was going around. It's almost the same one. I actually have no idea who that is. Um, but but it was, it's, really, it's really interesting to, to think about it in that hive mind sense that it could be everyone and no one. I mean, someone in the audience could be, you know, the <laughs> well, next there's, anonymous there's actor. And I it. kept finding them. They were sort of more on the conspiracy side of things. Yeah. And every time I sort of went into a subject area like the Illuminati or something like that, I kept finding them, and I just wondered whether it was you. Just one guy called David Davidson, <laughs> and, he, <laughs> and he puts on that mask and just goes to town. But it, no, it's true, it raises an interesting point that a lot of the anonymous operations that you can find, even those that are happening side by side, can be um, ethically conflicting or contradictory of one another just on the basis that everyone and no one can be anonymous. So that you'll see, you'll see um, uh, one operation, then one hour later, something that completely contradicts it, but comes with the same mask and the same tone. And I guess that's the double-edged sword of it. You, anyone can become you know, an anonymous uh, member or part of the collective. But in that case, there's a lot of infighting and arguing. Hi, yeah, this is a question for Jake. Um, what, what makes a good hacker? I mean, for you, what was it? Passion? Are you highly intelligent? Are you autistic? Because, I mean, not everyone's a good hacker, eh? You know, even if, they wanna, if, even if they wanted to be. So what was the driving force for you, would you say? I wasn't a very good hacker, hence why I got caught. But <laughs> I, think, I think the driving force for a lot of... No, who, who I consider to be good hackers and friends with a lot of good hackers, and I think it starts with a, with a curiosity um, and, a, and a passion in that sense. There are some... I mean, it depends what type of, of hacking you're getting into. Um, I, I, I know some people that are extremely mathematical and work on extremely fascinating systems that other hackers of the same intelligence in the same field wouldn't necessarily understand. In the same sense that mathematics... In general, if you go deep enough into a specific field, there'd be like one dozen people that understand that. Um, but I think that that driving curiosity, and I see that a lot at hacking conferences, such as um, the, the Chaos Computer Club's Chaos Communication Congress in Germany every year. Um, tens of thousands of people, and they might be people that build robots, hack satellites, um, and, and or they might work um, more towards the bug bounty end or potentially liaise with governments or work on social engineering as in 
you know, I'm using the human element and some amazing talks about breaking into buildings. And I think uh, ethically, and as uh, the building, the owners of the building are the clients there. They're not just sort of doing it randomly. I think it's all about that curiosity and being open to learn and, and thinking about things in the hacker mindset, which is... Can I ask, just ask him one more question? What, what age did you start on a computer? Uh, maybe maybe eight or nine. I had uh, Windows ninety eight was the first. With you know, uh, I loved it. I, I think I think the first thing I, uh, w for for Windows ninety eight was managing to insert um, code into documents like Word documents and prank my little brother when he opens a Word document and like things pop up and stuff like that. Um, and that that kind of thing is actually still used nowadays as well. A lot of a lot of companies get taken over by just uh, marketing team receives an invoice dot PDF. And then it's game over for the whole marketing team. So that kind of thing. Yeah, playing around with how the system worked. Well, certainly my experience of uh, people that are um, hackers tend to be, um, they tend to start off as people that are gamers. And they tend to um, you know, want to modify, cheat, win, and so on and so forth. And there's a, there's a, a pathway that start, that, that's how they start. Um, so the pathway is of curiosity, as, as Jake was saying, you know, um, the curiosity of, oh, how does this go? What can I do? How, you know, um, and getting a bit of kudos of, of, you know, moving to the next level, knocking someone potentially offline. Um, and so me as a, a cyber prevent officer, that's what um, we're, try we're trying to do. It's early intervention. If I said to you, when you were younger, most of you probably were... Um, we're told not to go, not to shoplift, not to thieve, and things like that. With the internet, a lot of people aren't and um, um, taught about the laws and ethics of, uh, you know, the computer world. Um, so, part of the thing is to turn around and get people understanding that you know you can't turn around and um, you can't turn around and hack, you can't turn around and knock people offline, and what have you. So it's about um, setting the boundaries. I think we've got a couple here, and then. We had a Conservative MP said in a video interview confessing, you know, hacking a uh, Labour MP's website is the naughtiest thing she'd ever done. It then came to light that it, people identified the incident, which was she hacked Harriet Harman's website, which was using a rubbish password back in 2008. When this came to light and Harriet Harman, there were, an apology was sent to Harriet Harman, who got back and said, well, this is fine, I've received an apology, we'll draw a line under it. This seems to me to be a entirely appropriate way of dealing with quite a trivial incident. Hacking, yes, for a political purpose, drew attention to poor security on the other side. Given that both sides of the house agree that this is a trivial incident that can be just resolved with an apology, shouldn't we now not bring this into the ambit of the criminal law? Isn't it about time we brought the law up to date in line with people's understanding of the seriousness of, of the activity, which isn't very serious. So what you're saying is basically she's surveying and, and hack someone and this is how we should uh, be dealing with it, you know, as in... Is that what you're, is that what you're saying? Yeah, I'm, I'm saying that it seems to me that, that that's an entirely appropriate way to, do, to deal with this. I don't, I'm not really sure that it's a, it sh should become a police matter. I think, I think everything needs to be dealt with in, um, individually. I mean, I, I certainly, from my, my dealings with um, youngsters, we are, we are looking at um, youngsters that are on the cusp or have done minor misdemeanours within the CMA. And our idea is that um, we want to steer them away from further going down that rabbit hole and committing further criminality. So what you're, what you're talking about and saying is, it, it, to me, it's, it's about... on what the outcome is and on an individual basis, okay? Well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure I'm entirely in favour with sort of limitless discretion, which is where the law is at the moment, because this, I mean, dif different countries deal with this in, in different ways. So in, in the Netherlands, there is prosecutorial guidance which says that, for instance, if people are doing security research, then even though theoretically this comes within the boundaries of the law, we're not going to prosecute. Um, certain US states, even though the federal law is terrible, certain US states have explicit exemptions for security researchers. I put it to you, because what you're describing to me is a sort of like quasi-youth work yeah. job that you're doing. I put it to you that we could do a good job by clarifying the CMA, um, certainly improving proving the prosecutorial, gui prosecutorial guidance, even if we don't go as far as like 
introducing a public interest defence, which, which is something that I would certainly be in favour of. And then the job that you're, you're saying you're doing, we could actually like let third sector organisations, like organisations that do youth work all the, you know, all the time, take that function, then you could be like freed up to deal with people who are actually breaking the law. That's what we're trying to do at the moment. We're trying to build in an infrastructure where basically um, youngsters on, on this cusp or just committing minor offences are dealt with by, um, are basically dealt with by industry and looked after by industry. Because uh, um, cyber hacking is the only basically criminality where we could turn around and put it in, back into the industry. You couldn't have someone who was breaking into cars turn around and being pulled, pulled into industry. This is the only, uh, one of the only offences that we can turn around and do that. Yeah, well, maybe this is a sign that actually the way that the offence is drawn it's not actually very help. It's not very helpful. I think I can think of many specific inf incidences where the way that this law works, particularly the way that unauthorized access as an as an offence works, is actually not particularly um, conducive to improve to improving cyber security. Kemi Badenoch, the the MP who hacked this website, it's the way the way the CMA works is that unfortunately, even if she had written a nice email to Harriet Harman and said, "Look, you're using a rubbish password on your website," that in theory, if Harriet Harman could have complained about it could still have become a police matter. That, to me, seems completely counterproductive. I think what you're trying to, uh, what you're trying to get at is that the fact that the law at the moment is, um, is, not, is, not, is not very conducive to what, what's going on at the moment. And I think the, there needs to be an update. Um, the law is what, um, <coughs> CMA 99? It's, it's 1990, based so, on... You know, we've moved on. We've moved on quite a bit mm -hmm. since then. You know, we're coming to the day where um, people are being hacked regularly. You know, frauds are being committed. You know, so there is a, there is a, there is a need for uh, for potentially an update within the law. Unfortunately, as as a as a police officer, I have to work in within the law that I have available to me. I'm not a, a person that is legislative, and I cannot turn around and change that. We can turn around and surely um, put it up the chain and say, you know, and that's only going to come about by us dealing with it we can't you know this is quite an um this is a new uh, the the hacking thing and cyber thing is a very new thing for us as the police you know um it's something that has come on with, there's a lot of um there's a lot of money being lost a lot of people a lot of victims and things like that so it's only as we start using this law that we're starting to realize that actually it may not be fit for purpose to a certain extent and may and that that, so therefore, that is something that can be turned around and put up to the legislature to change. It's not something that we can change, you know. As officers, I have to work within the parameters that we have. But I agree with what you're turning around saying. A law that is, you know, uh, from 1990 may not be fit for what it is now. Okay. Thank you. Just here. Thanks. Uh, this is very 2011, but um, what could you tell us about backtrace security, and what are your views on that? Um, very briefly on the last point, uh, I'm really glad you just said that the Computer Misuse Act is not fit for purpose. That was essentially exactly what I was going to say. And I'm glad you agree that updates are required um, in that you take over someone's website and then apologize for it, everything's fine, is literally the same offense as like hacking the CIA. We don't have any nuance, any black and white. So that definitely needs an update, and I'm glad <laughs> you would be willing to perhaps take it up the chain of command. Uh, we might hold you to that. Backtrace security. Um, uh, this is a trip to memory. I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, um, although this happened a lot when we were anonymous and lulsec hackers trying to hack us, uh, a group of hackers put out a whole bunch of information about us that was entirely wrong, which happens a lot in the hacking world. I think someone from Backtrace Security identified me as someone from Sweden. Um, the FBI then believed that and went in like got warrants for this person's uh, Facebook account and Twitter and caused, caused that person a bunch of hassle. I think even after I got arrested, the, uh, and you know, my, my laptop was open, uh, my, my stuff was there, it was pretty clear. Uh, the FBI called the Met Police and said, no, no, it's this guy from Sweden, it's definitely this guy from Sweden. So I think that's the backtrace security you're referring to, but yeah, to, to that point, that's hackers versus hackers and how, how much, uh, that would be fascinating to know, I guess, but um, how much Met, the, the, the Met and others rely on open source intelligence. But I, I, I don't know too much, too much else about that. But that's a very interesting question. If I may ask, um, how do you know backtrace security? I was a member. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, you didn't identify me as Swedish. Right? <laughs> no, um, interesting enough, that was very good because Backtrace operated mainly on fake information, uh, especially to cover itself up. Why would dishing fake information on other people cover yourselves up? I had nothing to do with that. That is know. very intriguing strategy. This was mentioned earlier, but the gaming community is a very good um, platform for f recruiting hackers. Um, and that's what I worked a lot on myself. So your group um, incorrectly identified me as this guy called Herman Salah living in London. And you actually ruined his life because um, he, actually, he actually thought he was going to get in trouble for something he didn't do. So he had to flee to France with, lots, with all of his student money. So he basically ruined someone's life for who wasn't even the person he was trying to dox. Um, my teacher at school says that hacking is bad and you should never do it. Uh, would you say it's as black and white as that? That's a very good question. Um, I get, do you want to answer this one first or should I just go? Sorry, I just realized I, just, I still have it. Like, I, just, I have the mic. Um, uh, well, I, I, I mean, if your teacher says all hacking is bad, maybe your teacher doesn't know too much about hacking. But what I thought would be really cool in schools is, um, when, when I was in school, and this wasn't just me, it was various members of my class, you know, we messed around with the school networks. The, I'm sure lots of people here have done it. You know, they, they block games and you get the games back and you, you, you use proxies and you, you know, change all the screensavers in the room at once or something, all that kind of silly stuff. Um, and, and we had the same thing. The teacher said, no, no, hacking is bad, et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> but I think, what if, let's say at the end of the year, um, to, to the point of incentivizing hackers, you know, you get a trophy for best footballer of the year, swimmer, a chess champion. If you got best hacking, let's say the school encouraged you to hack them, tell the school about it, and you got praised at the end of the year or given extra credits for intuitively finding flaws in the network and disclosing it to the teachers. And then you could legitimately put on your CV after you leave school, I hacked my primary school, I hacked my secondary school, I hacked my college, I hacked my university, and I got, uh, I got accolades from the headmasters. I think that would be fantastic. So yeah, you should tell your teacher that. Um, in, ter in, ter in, in, terms of the, in terms of the law, yeah. Um, the boundaries are set. The law, it's, it is, to a certain extent, black and white. You know, um, hacking is bad. It's unauthorized um, access into someone else's, uh, you know, computer or system. Um, I think, I think that we're in a. I think it's very important at the moment because we're in a, a transitional period. I think the thing is that we, as the country, are very short of um, cybersecurity experts and people within the cyber industry. Um, and I think we need just we need um, places for people that are interested in hacking to go. You know, we need a lot more um, um, sandboxes for people to go and try out these skills in a safe environment. You know, and I th um, and this is starting to come on now. This is what Prevent is about: is to try and you know, we've, there's a lot of skilled people out there, and we want and we want to. Um, two things: we want to get them within the industry that they're supposed to be and earning money. Um, secondly, we don't want them to turn around and stray into areas that will get themselves arrested. Um, and because once you are arrested, um, it has been proved that it, you know, industry won't necessarily touch you and therefore you won't get yourself a meaningful career and so on and so forth. And a lot of this is about, it's a lot of, um, to a certain extent, naivety and not understanding the law. And this is, to me, it's about... Um, getting into schools at a young age where the youngsters are starting to code and actually give them parameters and the ethics and legality about what they can do and what they can't do. And I don't think there's enough of that out there. Okay. Can I, could I add something? So um, I wouldn't usually add something at this point, but the infrastructure of the education system, it's not keeping up. And I think that that, therefore, is why your teacher said to you all hackers about... And also there's an articulation around hacking. You know, we've got, um, we have a hack events, we have hackathons, we have the hack this, that, and the other. So the articulation and understanding what hacking really is, is very, very important. And actually, we have to just kind of like accept that this is happening. And by saying so in a, in a binary way, yes, it's bad, or, or no, you can't do it, doesn't actually help. 
Um, but you seem to have it, or, you know, you seem to know what you're talking about. Um, a majority of the questions has been really complicated, but I'm just going to ask a simple one for Jake. Um, when he was hacking, what feeling did he get? Because I'm like, it could have been like an evil feeling or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's very good. So ho Hollywood f uh, films will 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 have you uh, thinking that all hackers wear like balaclavas and gloves and just like access denied in red just becomes access granted in green very quickly over, over 60 seconds. And I think hackers like to think that they feel like that um, when really it's always, it's always quite boring. But, um, you know, I've, I felt, it's, it's a really good question. I felt um, I, I was uh, 17, 18 at the time and I, I was very bored in everything else I was doing. And so I felt thrilling that something was having some sort of impact. Um, and that kind of s mischievous sneakiness that you kind of enjoy at that age, that was, that was flowing through my head. Um, although sometimes when I closed the laptop lid and stepped away for a while and you know got some fresh air, all of that kind of good stuff, um, it did feel a world detached. I couldn't relate to myself going to buy milk and myself hacking online. And so it took a long time to, to understand that. So sometimes there were so many feelings going on that it just sort of swirled together. It was very strange. Um, but I don't think I had any like evil hacker in the basement with a, with a bottle of Mountain Dew and Doritos and, and all of that. Although that is a very fun stereotype to portray. And sometimes we deliberately came across like that um, just so, just so we, could, we, could, we could make fun of ourselves. Do you hack? Yeah. That's good. Don't admit it. How do you feel when you do it? Let me phrase the question. Have you ever felt that you could do something but you couldn't figure out how, but you sort of kept trying and you kept trying, and a load of things didn't work, and then eventually you found something that did work? Yeah. And it felt really good when you solved that problem? Yeah, it was like obviously the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You've done hacking, that's what hacking is. I mean, what, what I'd say is that hackers seem to be very caring individuals who have a lot of insight to what's flawed with either political, legal, or, you know, tech systems. And, you know, I do have, a, you know, an incredible admiration for that. Um, my question would be to people, who've, you know, regarding the law, um, there's the general uh, data protection thing that's coming into effect as of 28th, uh, 28th I think, of May. These are being made by, you know, sort of by the European Union, which um, consisting of very privacy-conscious uh, German lawyers. How do you think this, you know, this will impact hacker communities? The GDPR, which comes in on the 25th of May, basically is um, is basically about protecting individuals that give out their data. Um, the ICO have turned around and said that basically lots of people, lots of companies, if they lose data, will end up um, having large fines. Um, the impact of those large fines potentially could be that companies could go under. Um, so I just clarify large as meaning from it used to be a maximum of about 20,000 to 10% of global revenue. We're in a good No, four. It's two to it's two to four percent, depending on what. Yeah. So potentially those fines could um, damage companies, and therefore the impact of um, companies being damaged could actually bring down companies, which in itself has a knock-on effect and people losing jobs and so on and so forth. So I would hope that um, you know people would. Um, I think I think there needs to be an attribute. Someone, it needs to be attributed that um, when someone is basically trying to hack a system, that there is an impact for what they're doing. And in some cases, the impact could be a company, you know, um, collapses. And there are figures out there, and I'm not, and I'm, I'll, I'll throw a figure at you. 60% of um, small, medium enterprises, so small companies that are infiltrated and data is lost um, because never recover and collapse. And on the back of that, there is obviously people's lives, jobs, you know, people have mortgages and so on and so forth. And I think that there is, needs to be a understanding that when someone, you know, hits that button and sends whatever they do or infiltrates a system, that there is an impact. 
and you know, and that does have a real cost, you know. Is that a part of the place story game as well? Are you, are you regulated by that same law? No, uh, law, inf law enforcement and um, um, criminal protection, criminal detection, are not regulated. They don't come under the GDPR. And what's the justification of that? Crime prevention. So we we hold data for that particular reason, you know. So, you know, when another crime's committed, we can turn and check our systems. We do carry, you know, a lot of personal data and so on and so forth. So, you know, I think as a, if we were you know, infiltrated and someone was getting taking our data out, um, there would be a lot of um, questions asked, you know. So we, are, we're, we stand up and turn around and tell companies, you know, you need to keep yourself safe, you need to have this, you need to have that. We also do look at ourselves to make sure that we're not losing people's data. And I think you would, I think you would know if we'd lose data, it'd be splashed all over the front pages, <coughs> if that was the case, you know. I think it's, it's, it's always a bad move to suggest that one security is better than any other security. And looking inwardly, um, I mean, I, I, I think that if, if you are confident enough that if a breach did occur, many questions would be asked and many checks would be put in place, why not accept um, an, an, an investigation into that or fines as to, as to why, why, why that occurs? And given that the information that w would be leaked invariably would be about mm, the, the very people that oh thank you Larry that, um, that 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 would be that would be driving and campaigning for that isn't it isn't it our right to, to sort of know not the operational details of how you you know we know Trident missiles are on submarines or you know we don't know anything about et cetera et cetera but we don't we, I mean how I, I think we should know how how our information is stored by government, and more importantly, how regularly you audit. Um, the same with companies. Let's look at, a, I mean, I'm in favor of, of companies that are large and criminally negligent with their data. And I think it's fair to say criminally negligent. Let's say a hacker attacks a system with a very sophisticated hack, a corporate system, a zero day, something absolutely insane. The, on a case by case basis, you can go, all right, fair enough, this small company, they're not like, you know, they're not you, they're, they're not diligently, as you say, checking things. But if you get like, let's take the case of TalkTalk, extremely large ISP, the hacker who allegedly hacked TalkTalk, I believe he was 15 years old, and the virus he used to break into TalkTalk was older than he was. <laughs> and so I just think if you're a company like that and you haven't patched your systems in over 15 years, um, you should be held to account for that. But also what I would love more is for that not to happen, um, which is why we need this transparency to begin with and so that we don't run into that ridiculous situation. And I know it sounds absurd, but most companies that are hacked are because of systems about 20 years old that they just have not realized that are still 20 years old. And so that same diligence, that diligence which I'm sure you do have, um, should be, I think, more open sourced and more regulated. And I think that's what the GDPR is gonna do. It's going to it's going to push back that companies do look at their systems, they do um, patch their systems, and they're not running with you know old systems and that aren't patched and so on and so forth. So they have a so it falls back on them as as a controller of your data that they are looking at you know their cybersecurity um, to ensure that you know that there is a transparency. So when you turn around and give them data, they will they should be telling you what they're doing with your data and potentially how they're storing it as I well. Think. Sorry, I know you won't be yeah. able to officially comment on, but you should do the same. <laughs> <laughs> the challenge we've got it's always been the case that technologies move faster than kind of like the rest of society can keep up and and that is I think that will be the case for, for many many decades to come it's kind of like it's nothing in that respect it's nothing new but you can only work as fast as the paces each you can work and the challenge that we've now got is that it's not governments that are making all of the technology up it's independent small pockets of you know organized there's probably 20 30 of them in this building right now that's making more kind of te technological advances than you know than government necessarily does in a year so the challenge of that will always be there, but I do think that these are the kind of steps that we can take to at least try and make a start in, in keeping up. Who was down here who wanted to ask a question? Here. Sorry, it's going back a little bit to some questions we had earlier, so apologies for you, Jake. Um, 
I do think I was really interested by what you were saying about your school and if you had the opportunity to hack your school's network and that sort of thing. Um, and I think um, it is really important that we start getting that knowledge to within schools and youth clubs and to teachers so they understand and are able to impart that and encourage children within schools to use their skills in uh, the sort of hacking and cyber sort of areas. Do you think if you were given the option to sort of hack within boundaries, so given authority to hack the school systems and given sort of abilities to challenge yourself in that way from a really young age, it would have encouraged you to use your skills within sort of the boundaries of the law. And maybe if you knew there was opportunities like you were talking about to, for the internet of things to um, engage with companies and help them and work with them to develop the internet things in a safe way. If you had all that information and that encouragement, do you think it would have encouraged you to stay within the boundaries of the law? Or do you think there's always that sort of desire to challenge outside the boundaries? Very, oh, uh, a really excellent question. I think for the vast majority of people, that kind of thing would encourage them what uh, would would uh, explain to them what good hacking is. I think there can be good hacking. I mean, hacking as a as a as a as a theme as a word is not a bad thing. But yes, I agree. And we see this with um, open bug bounties, as we mentioned in the in the documentary. You would have would be black hat hackers, um, so it's seeing a large company um, and seeing that it. it it has a really thoughtfully written security policy that says we respect the hackers and we want to work with you. And you have to ask yourself what the hackers want. And to the point of the prevent team, which I do agree with, um, I agree with anything that results in less prosecutions under the Computer Misuse Act, which is a ridiculous um, set of laws from 1990, as we mentioned. What the hackers want? They, want, they often want, and this was also mentioned by Richard in the, in the documentary, they want kudos from their peers the challenge of doing it, that can sometimes be the, so for some hackers, the act of, 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 of formulating code or breaking in, in such a way that the system goes from here to here is, is, is the crux of it for them. The releasing of information could be something completely unrelated to hacking. Um, and I think hacking into the school's network, being praised by your peers for it, I think kids will love that. Um, adults love that. I, I do bug bounties sometimes. I get all, all of that thrill. You can, you can still, I think, there will still be some people that would use that skill for criminal intent. You're t I guess people that deal with like ransomware, for example. Um, even when we were hacking with an anonymous in LulzSec, we would definitely look down on people that did that sort of thing and attacked members of the public and locked up computers, which we've seen with the whole WannaCry thing, which was 50-50 really bad hackers and also extremely outdated criminally negligent systems. Um, but that's a whole different thing. Um, so I agree. I, th I think from a young age, instilling that ethics, because at the moment, um, well, I, I guess when I and, and various others were young, we only knew about hacking through the lens of either extremely stylized Hollywood movies or the Google stock image for hacker, which is still, you know, just like, a, you know, the balaclava thing. And so it seemed quite dubious and it seemed like the easiest possible solution was to be an unlawful hacker, I guess, if you want to put it literally. Um, but now it's it's. But nowadays, it's very very easy to get what you want, and you don't have to do it for money or work for a company. You can work on uh, ethical, sustainable projects. You can use hacking not just for securing systems or getting paid vast amounts of money, as Richard said, but you you can use it for for other things, improving the world, making the world a better, more compassionate place. Um, and I, so I definitely think teaching in schools um, the ethics of hacking and also what it means um, is a really good idea. I'd love to work with some more schools. I know, and the Prevent team do as well. Hello, um, I'm, I'm just this guy who's unimportant that may have been mentioned in the film. Um, what, what I wanted to ask uh, Andy to begin with, um, but I'll, I'll probably mention a few things afterwards, is do you have anywhere, when you're having your, as uh, Naomi rightly put it, quasi-youth work, interventions with kids because it's not really worth the the state actually prosecuting people that a lot of the time are under 17 who don't really understand that they're transgressing the law and are not doing it to make profit for traditional criminal reasons and um, when you have these conversations to try and deter them or as you say potentially lead them to industry sadly industry can't always take them especially when they're 16 especially if they might be neurodivergent, if they might be autistic, have Asperger's, otherwise difficult to go through human resources. Do you have anywhere else that you could signpost them? And whether you do or you don't, do you think we need to have a role for organizations that can work with youth in the same way that, um, okay, at the moment we're having like a knife crime and general violence problem in London, and a lot of people would say it's not unrelated to the fact that all the funding for youth 
groups and youth clubs and places to go and engage in meaningful activity disappeared. Um, do we need places where kids can go, or not even kids, maybe older people can go and explore these skills in a structured environment that isn't necessarily um, a business, isn't necessarily a, an enterprise? And are there any places that you can currently signpost those kids to? Oh, yeah, your, your, your question's um, really good. So at the moment, we're trying to, um, so we're trying to build up um, places where people can go. So you, you said about um, youngsters that we cannot signpost to, to industry. Mm -hmm. um, we're trying to um, encourage coding clubs, so outside of schools where, where youngsters can go and, understand, and, and learn more of the coding side of it. Um, and do some um, work around that. Mm -hmm. um, we're also thinking of um, apprenticeships as well. Mm -hmm. You know, so we're working with universities, other other um, companies like Crest. Mm -hmm. um, there's also um, was it Cyber Discoveries, which is quite recent. That's just come on um, online, uh, which is about um, basically putting some. Well, it, we're, I'm, I'm aiming it at youngsters because that's what we we're, we're looking at, mm -hmm. but. It, but the pathway shows that it doesn't matter what um, age you are. You could be um, someone that has basically been working for the NHS for a number of years and just decided that you wanted a career change. Mm -hmm. um, it happens to be that you're interested in computers and cyber, and then you start messing around at home, looking at YouTube and so on and so forth. So we want to, we want to scoop up everybody that's within that. Um, and so we're trying to basically um, put an infrastructure together where we can you know, um, scoop up these people and um, signpost them to coding clubs, to um, apprenticeships, and also working with um, companies, you know, potentially like Google, and uh, who have community programs, and potentially um, give a mentorship to these people and say to them, look, maybe if you go and do this course, or you have a look at doing this, or we can turn around and set up things. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're uh, that's what we're aiming to do, mm -hmm. is to. Um, to put that, we're, it's in its infancy. Yeah. You know, Richard um, Jones that you saw on the on the video is basically the NCA, so he covers the national. I'm from the Met, so I cover London. Um, but across the country, there are people like myself who are, um, and we all join up as a network. And we're, what we're trying to do is within our local areas, trying to build it. Um, I, at the moment, have identified the London Borough of Camden as basically our pilot area. Mm -hmm. So we're talking to the schools to try and get them into potentially changing the curriculum and giving um, youngsters the, the small pits that they need, which are about the law and ethics. Mm. And then we're going to try and get, get more of these coding clubs. Mm. Some of the primary schools have got coding clubs, but not the secondary schools. Mm. You know, so we want to uh, we do those and, uh, and move into those and into colleges and universities. Yeah. So that's so, what... Uh, so, so hypothetically, if an organisation were to mysteriously spring up that was maybe like a little bit like the Boy Scouts, but instead of kids learning to explore nature and get skills and get badges for needlework and building fires, instead they got they got to explore the internet and technology and they got skills and badges for being able to apply that and at the same time learning that there are lines that you don't cross that like you you brought up the shoplifting analogy. Mm -hmm. It's quite clear even for me as a autistic person that I know that if I'm in a shop and I pick something up and I leave and I go past those big metal detecty things that I've crossed the line. And the problem is those lines aren't quite as clear as you say, if you start off with games and the point is to win and another way to win is to make sure your opponent can't get online. Yeah. It, it, it's a very easy transition into some, some, some naughty shenanigans as Jake might put it. Yeah. Um, so if an organization were to mysteriously spring up, you'd, you'd maybe consider working with them in the prevent program. Yeah, we're not gonna arrest our way out of this. And that's what um, you know. Our commissioner has turned and said she's turned and mentioned that, and I coined that phrase. And I and I agree with that. It's about partnerships. It's about um, catching people on the cusp and steering them. Early intervention is the way forward, and um, positively steering and using their skills in the proper way, because only that is going to that is a benefit to us as a nation. You know, we're we're in this. We're, everybody's bombarded at the moment about the media, about we're having. You know, we've got, um, you know, North Korea and so on, mm. state-sponsored hacking and so on and so forth. The only way we're going to protect ourselves is by finding these these people that have skills mm. and putting them in and uh, putting them into um, jobs where they can help us and prevent all of that. Yeah. And you know, the Internet of Things is a massive thing again. You know, 
whatever industry you have or anything, you always have a certain amount of people that want to do bad things. Okay? I'm, I'm glad. And, you know, with all these cybersecurity people, that we, they can prevent that and help yeah. that. I'm, I'm glad you said um, that you can't arrest your way out of it because I think that there's been some parallels with the, the states, the government's response to the hacking threat um, to their previous response in the 80s and 90s and still in some places today to drugs and that is to try and scare the kids out of it when really people are going to take things to change their consciousness and it's better that we actually work to minimise the harm than to apply a kind of Nancy Reagan-esque kind of scare them out and one thing is just a question of resources so as you noted in the film most reported crimes now have a cyber element so Bobby's on the beat can't really control websites and deter people with a visible presence from um, uh, from from breaking the rules or uh, leveraging their access uh, to 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 enrich themselves. The other thing is a question of trust. So historically, the hacker community and Jake will be able to tell tell us more about this has viewed law enforcement with distrust because um, people who are and sometimes legitimate security researchers find themselves in trouble with the law. So a good case is Marcus Hutchins, who you might remember saved the world, is not putting it too strongly, um, when North Korea, possibly, um, launched this WannaCry virus, which uh, infected a lot of computers. It was ransomware. As Jake said, most hackers would look down on that if they have any ethics. Um, attacked, uh, attacked the NHS. Um, people had to be moved. You know, Procedures had to be cancelled. Um, Marcus Hutchins registered a website, engaged the kill switch, stopped that from spreading. Um, he was made into a celebrity against his will, doxxed by um, people <laughs> like this gentleman, but working for newspapers that decided to ruin his privacy. Um, and the way that he's been rewarded from that is he went to a security conference to contribute in Las Vegas, and the FBI have arrested him for something um, that was 10 years ago that was borderline criminal in the first place for having written a remote access Trojan that may have been used for nefarious means. Um, because this is an ongoing incident, there are still people that will trust me and will talk to me about things that will not even be in the same room as someone like yourself. And that's not because I think you're a bad person. I'm, I'm quite happy talking to you, but there's, we, we still have to repair these bonds. And um, I'll be honest, like I, I'm an anarchist, anti-capitalist. You know, I don't think that people should be making profit necessarily. I don't think the state should exist and I don't think the police should exist in an ideal world. But I'm happy to work with private industry, with the government and with law enforcement to ensure that we have a safe internet because at the moment with things like Cambridge Analytica and Facebook, our ability to actually be meaningful human beings and have control of our own destiny is being risked by the amount of data that's being collected about us and is being misused to manipulate us um, or otherwise ag against our interests. And um, this kind of connects to this G GDPR stuff that we, we need to move into a world where we understand what it means to exist as a human being, but also as a massive collection of personal data. And in order for that to happen, I think there needs to be a rapprochement, a, a, a reconciling of the differences between the, the hacker community that hold a certain set of values and the state that wants to ensure order. And if any, I'm just opening this up to anyone that wants to sort of think about this. Um, I believe that basically we need to, um, law enforcement need to work with people like, you know, Jake and um, hackers to understand how, every, how, it, how everything's working and what we can do to determine and prevent people from straying over into, in, into criminality, okay? The, to me, I'm a police officer, the law is the law, and I have to work within the boundaries. And, it, and the law basically says and I, that, you know, you can't hack, you cannot access someone, you know, someone's computer without their, um, without their permission. But you're right in turn around saying that, um, you know, the um, hacking community doesn't necessarily trust law enforcement. Mm -hmm. You know, we can see if we can serve and, and exist and work together, okay? But it may not ne always be the case. But I think the, the way forward is, is is having an understand, trying to have an understanding. Uh, if you want to, you got anything? All right. <clears throat> oh, thank you very, very much, Larry, for all that. I agree absolutely, and I'm still in favor of this hypothetical cyber scout situation where you're going to work there. I think the... Um, to, to both Dior and Larry's points, um, the prevent team is a good step in strengthening the bonds between hackers and government. Also, more to Larry's point, I think uh, the Met, possibly GCHQ as well, should consider perhaps uh, 
uh, attempting to influence their U.S. counterparts, who I don't think adhere to the to the same principles in this, because the U.S. and to steal your quote will try and arrest their way out of something. You know, we're we're looking at when you said you wanted to work with hackers such as myself and, and Larry and others. Um, it would be a real, I think, a real pleasure to work with Larry. Though he's 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 here now because he wasn't extradited to the states. Um, Marcus Hutchins is currently there and would be much more useful for society here in our country, uh, doing useful things. Um, and so I think some of the distrust, especially in the UK, comes from knowing how close the bonds are between the FBI and the Met and how drastically different their approaches to cybercrime. And I know you can't comment on, uh, as, as I would say, that <coughs> their justice system is an inhumane disaster. And, and it's, uh, it's absolutely disgusting. And I, and I know through senior anonymous sources, lowercase anonymous there, that, um, that people, certain people in the UK enforcement sort of have a disparity and feel the same way about the FBI. I know you can't comment on that, but I think that's a large part of the distrust. And maybe bring a prevent to America and stop 100 years in prison or, or a plea deal for 50 years. Well, we are the first we are the first prevent team um, as far as I'm aware within Europe and within the world um, you know other law enforcements are coming toward to um, the UK to actually see um, how we're doing this and every a lot of them are looking at you know us about um, how, how it's going to turn out and how it's going to work and they're hoping to potentially blueprint it so you know only time will tell you know thank you so so much thank you to Google campus Thank you very, very much. Hope you all have a lovely evening and goodbye. Thanks very much for listening. If you would like to learn more about what we're doing with Think Nation around our approach to humanising the impact of technology on young people, you can reach out to us. You can follow us on social, Instagram and Twitter. We're at ThinkNat. That's at T-H-I-N-K-N-A-T. You can sign up to our newsletter at thinknation.co. You can find me, Lizzie Hodgson, on LinkedIn. Always open to connecting with interesting people. Sign up to our podcast, sign up to our vlog. That's Triple Think, the vlog, and Triple Think, the podcast. Thanks very much and catch you later.